Welcome to episode 122 of the Juicebox podcast. Today we are talking to Christina Roth. Christina went to college one day, needed support for her type 1 diabetes, and just, you know, started an entire entity to take care of such things. It is spread across the country and is now supported by the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. I have to be honest with you, this interview is bonkers. I listened back when I was editing and I, I'm going to have to promise you right now that I don't drink and I was not drinking or in any way impaired while I was doing this podcast, but I did a lot of free associating in the first 10 minutes. Eventually, Christina and I stop acting goofy. Well, I act goofy. Christina's just, she's putting up with me. And then we get into talking about some real stuff, but I think you'll like it. And I also think the College Diabetes Network is something that everyone really needs to know about especially if you have children who are going off to college with type 1 diabetes. Even if you don't, Christina's got a great story, and I say stupid stuff. So, I mean, should at least keep you busy while you're grocery shopping. Let's just say here that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making changes to your healthcare plan. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dexcom and Omnipod, two great pieces of diabetes technology that I'll tell you about just a little later. So my name is Christina Roth. I'm the CEO and the founder of the College Diabetes Network. Uh, I guess, how detailed do you want me to get professionally or personally? Now, see, you're already overthinking it. Way casual. <laughs> it's enough already. So you're the CEO of the College Diabetes Network. How old are you? Um, I'm 28 when at did, this point. When did you, at this point, you're hoping for more, <laughs> you're hoping for more, I imagine. Um, and so at, at, at a point last year, you were 27, I understand. Um, so, so when did you start it? You're young. So when did you start all this and what brought you to starting it? So I started CDN. Um, I actually forget, I must've been 21. Um, and I really just started it cause I was a college student and it was the first time I wanted to talk to someone else my own age and there was just no way to do that. So I really didn't start an organization. I just started reaching out and that ended up snowballing and turning into what it is today. Um, But it really was just a a very personal need that I felt at the time. So you're in school. Where were you? Do you you talk about where you went to college? Um, Oh, no, I'd be happy to. So I went to UMass Amherst um, in Massachusetts and I actually studied psychology uh, and equine studies while I was there. I'm going to get back to that, but let me, let, let, let's put a pin in that and we'll come back to that in a second. So, um, so, okay. So you're at school, you've got diabetes. When were you diagnosed with type one? I was diagnosed when I was 14. Okay. So you're, um, I was just a freshman in high school. Okay. So that's a, you know, I, I find myself always saying that's an odd time, but I don't know that there's not an odd time, but so, but you're 14, I'm assuming like just kind of launched into being a lady and you're going into high school. There's a lot of different changes going on in your life. Did you have a what kind of an experience in high school did you have with, with type one? Um, I had a very difficult experience. It's definitely an awkward age regardless. And then add in diabetes and, you know, it just doesn't help. I also had a really hard time um, with needles and, and learning how to give myself shots and um, was very overly independent. So I think I took on a lot of that burden and wouldn't let people help for a long time. Mm-hmm. So as a result, I felt sick most of high school 
looking back at the time, I thought it was fine. I was just tired and lazy. Um, but looking back, I was really sick and really half of who I could have been most of that time um, and was very much in denial related to diabetes. Um, didn't want to talk to anyone about it. Didn't really want to acknowledge it as a factor in my life in terms of keeping me back or something that I had to adjust my life to accommodate. So, so you are, by the way, with good reason, everyone should not want to give themselves a needle, but I think that's common sense. (laughs) But, but so you're, the needle thing has got you vexed. You don't really want to be involved with it. And at the same time, you don't want to let anybody else help you. And so so you're not taking injections as much as you should and your blood sugar's high and that's how you're not feeling well. Um, I, I think it's more that I, especially at the beginning, I, I found myself and it's, it's not embarrassing to look back. It's, it's, it's so sad to think of who I was at that time and think of people having to deal with that still these days where I, I mean, I see myself poised with this syringe over my stomach and just holding it, tears streaming down my face for 20 minutes. So by the time I actually get it in, (laughs) you know, my blood sugar is already sky high anyway. Um, So it was, I think, just that for a long time. And then it was just a matter of not wanting to check my blood sugar and just doing the bare minimum. So I never really developed a lot of the the much more serious concerns that many young adults or teenagers face. Um, but it was really just doing the bare minimum to get by and try to keep it from getting um, what I thought was uh, sort of out of hand, which out of hand which in my, at my hospital life. probably. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And by the way, and so, and it's interesting too, because I mean, I have a daughter who's going to be 13 in a month and as uh, you don't have kids yet, right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have my animal children, yeah, my fur children. You're not even 30 yet. Please, let me give you some advice. <laughs> don't have a baby yet. And so, um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, if boys start being nice to you, back up. Because <laughs> you're like four years away from a minivan when that starts happening. And you don't even realize it when it's going. You're like, oh my God, he's great. We go out together and have such a good time. And then one day you're going to be like, did my feet grow while I was pregnant? And How did this happen? I'm only 32. I'm very worried about you already, Christina. Like, I need- you're terrifying me. Well, I don't think I'm going to see my boyfriend again. <laughs> yes. Well, at the very least, don't let him within three feet of you. I, I mean, you can, you can go out together, but you you know, you got to keep your distance. So, okay. So, I'm not, by the way, I'm not 100% joking. So, <laughs> if I told you how I spent my morning, um, I had to clean my rug with a carpet cleaner because of the dog that I begged everyone, begged everyone not to get no 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 you don't know the dog is going to make such a great part i said no i I, you know i work out of the house i stay at home pretty sure it's going to be my dog and i don't feel like i have time for no no we'll take care yeah okay i'm cleaning the rug on a friday morning and uh and and it's not good and i don't know how i got here but i'm pretty sure it started with making sex with somebody so i that's why i'm telling you right now (laughs) stay back okay just He's like, hey, Christina. You're like, no, no, buddy. (laughs) I'll accept the movie and the dinner and everything else, but then you got to leave. Because I don't want to find out that Honda makes a great minivan. I don't care. Uh, And I don't have one, by the way. But it's expensive to avoid them. There's another good tip for you. If you don't want a minivan, you have to buy a bigger car. They're expensive. The whole thing's a disaster, Christina. Please, let's not go down this road any further. You're making me upset now. Okay, so. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave the 
children to you. Oh, please. Leave them to everybody if you should. By the way, <laughs> people who are listening who love their kids, I like my kid too. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, imagine if I had this money and and the job and the house and nobody wanted anything from me. What a great day that would be. Anyway, so so I, so I anyway, to put it into perspective, when you see yourself now, you're in an interesting spot. And I don't mean to explain to you your life because we've only known each other for 11 minutes. But you're in an interesting <laughs> spot. You're in your late 20s. And you look back on yourself and you see yourself as an individual, which by the way, you should. But as a person who's a parent who has a kid with a child that age, I just see you as a cliche that was going to happen no matter what you did. And I almost wonder if that wouldn't make you feel better. Like you, like the way you described yourself, you probably had no choice but to be that person. And it's not like you were making these conscious decisions, like these rational decisions, like you're attempting to make now in your late 20s and I'm trying to make in my 40s and, and that sort of thing. You're just overwhelmed with stress, anxiety, fear, uh, hormones, and and all the other things that go along with being a high school person, you were probably destined to be that person. Do you know what I mean? In that in that situation, does that make you feel out of control or relieved? Um, I do don't you think, know. Or do you think I'm full of crap? <laughs> you could be like Scott. I took psychology, and you're an idiot. Go ahead, tell me that too. I would love any of those answers. <laughs> as much as I want to say that, no, but um. I mean, I do think it was somewhat inevitable given all the factors. And I think every teenager, you know, there's very normal feelings of wanting to be normal and, and how they go about that. That being said, um, people embrace diabetes in different ways or distance themselves from it in different ways. Um, and I think sort of what it comes down to is uh, looking back, the biggest factor that was outside of sort of karma and the natural progression was really around the communication with my family, my the relationship with my family, how my parents reacted to those mood swings or those blood sugars and all of that. Right. And so I, in terms of working with the teenagers that we do today and helping to really focus them towards independence and, and the skills to build, to be ready to leave home and go to college, yeah. I think a lot of it, a lot of what we talk about is that it is very normal and to expect your teenager, you know, to not want to check their blood sugar, to expect their A1C on average to be close to nine. And if it's not, to celebrate that. Um, and I think really just giving these teenagers more credit for what they're going through, because I think the guilt, the shame, um, all of that will come naturally. And I think how to offset that is is a really key variable that can actually help to mitigate a lot of what you talked about in terms of being inevitable. So let me ask you, because now you're, you're, now we're getting interested here. This is getting good. We're warming up. <laughs> I'm glad it right took up. 13 minutes to get interested. Hey, no, 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 no. I'm saying we're really warming up now. I'm done with my funny <laughs> stuff. I'm awake. My blood pressure is higher than it was when we sat down. I'm really good right now. So you said something particularly of interest to me. So I have a daughter who is, like I said, just about 13, but she was diagnosed when she was two. Our whole life is diabetes. Like, I don't mean I spend my whole day, you know, steeped in it. I mean, her entire life, basically, there's been diabetes in, with us. And when I saw her hit a roadblock that was, you know, I don't want to push the button on this insulin pump, or I don't want to stick to this needle or anything, we sort of, we sort of supported her, told her it was going to be okay, but then didn't allow those 20 minutes that you're talking about to happen. We just said, look, this is about to happen. It's happening right now. Okay, it happened. Now, if you want to be upset, it's fine, but it's over. It seemed more important to get her out of the, oh my gosh, what's about to happen, and let her at least be upset and know that nothing, nothing really that adverse happened to her. And 
at the same time, when you're talking about the idea of, you know, you should understand that as your kids become teens with diabetes, that you could see A1Cs of nine and that you, you use the word expected. And so now that throws me into a, a bit of a, a tailspin in my head because my daughter's A1C with obviously our guidance, she's not doing it by herself, but is, I think it was five, six last time. And and it hasn't been over. Congratulations! Let me just stop you there. That's incredible. No, it's not that amazing. I'm going to explain to you why in a second. It hasn't been over six two in four years. It's been in that range for four years. Um, totally Dexcom and Omnipod. Without those things, I was a, a bit of a mess with diabetes prior to that. But having the having those tools really helped me. And then my larger understanding of how insulin worked, which I'm trying to pass off to her. So my thought is, should you expect your blood sugar, your A1C, as an example, to be nine? Or is that, is that just that most people don't get those tools up front and this is with their effort the best they can do and then their best doesn't measure up to what the doctors are telling them they should do and so that this anxiety and pressure gets foisted on them because of the, the journey and the outcome. Whereas I think if you start the journey with better tools that outcome doesn't happen, and then you don't feel that anxiety and pressure to the same degree. Did I make any sense? Um, yes, you did, and I lost my train of thought like four times over the course of that. Um. <laughs> I'm very chatty, and I probably my brain works in big circles, which I apologize for. But my I'll bo- no, no, I'm, to, to, I'm similar. No, no, no. To boil it down, like very simply, I think that if you try to climb up Mount Everest without the tools. Uh, it's going to get really stressful and you're going to die halfway up. And if you get a Sherpa and all the stuff you need, it's possible you'll make it to the top and it won't be the same terrible experience. And I think that we don't get great guidance before we take our first step with diabetes. And because of that, those things that happen, you're on a path that you're almost destined to have these things happen. Um, and so my, my bigger question is, do people, ex- are, are you saying that people should expect to end up there because it is this it is this thing that is absolutely just destined to happen to you because you have type 1 and this is the age you are or do you think it's possible that it just happens because of the path you're set upon when you're in that journey sure absolutely and to definitely clarify it is absolutely not something to to expect mm-hmm. to go up to 9 um i think the the way we've all been trained generally is that that's 7 and be below 7 with the the ADA standards um, and with healthcare, and I think it's not necessarily driven home enough in, in clinical relationships that when these teenagers' blood sugars do spike because their hormones are, are out of control or they just want to be feel normal and, and ignore diabetes, um, you know, that, that that is normal and that if it does go up, that's okay and, and not to freak out because diabetes really is a marathon. So you're going to have bumps in the road and to just roll with them and know that it's going to come down. But the lessons that they're going to learn in the meantime are more important than necessarily the extremely tight control. So part of this is, is you know, who is the audience that you're talking to? We have parents that we talk to that are very empowering for their child. Their child troubleshoots on their own. Um, you know, they, they have the, the psychosocial support when they do see a high number, um, but they generally are able to, to keep their blood sugars in control. And that's phenomenal. Um, so a lot of times we will talk to people whose A1C is, you know, six or whatever it happens to be. Um, but then we also speak with families who 
you know, they're, it, it's a very conflicted family relationship and, you know, their, their child doesn't even want to do the bare minimum. So the parent is, you know, extremely stressed out and feels as if the child doesn't care. And the A1C is 8.2. And so the parents are freaking out because the provider is telling them it should be under seven. Um, so by the time we sit down with them and tell them, based on some of the best data that we have in the United States, the average for their age range is 8.5 to 9 at some of the best clinics in the world, you know, that puts it in perspective in terms of that this is a very normal thing to want to push diabetes away and to support that more on a psychosocial level than to just focus on those numbers. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're speaking about in general, the people that end up in that space and then what do you do next? How do you not make it worse? How do you make it better? How do you kind of heal your relationships and, and all that, those things, which is incredibly powerful and, and insanely important, obviously. I just wanted to say, you know, in the beginning, like that's what this, for me, that what this podcast is, is that I was that person, just like you're describing those people who didn't know what was going on and, and it was, you know, the A1Cs were eight and they were nine and, it didn't seem like anything I did made it better. Um, and then through time and sort of just sort of really paying attention and looking at that and things like that, I figured out how that, how that, for that not to be the situation. And I, I say it all the time and I'll say it to you. It just, it's easier. This is going to sound, I always want to preface this by saying, I know it sounds like something you don't want to hear if it's not your situation right now, but um, I find it easier to keep my daughter's blood sugar lower and steady than I do to chase it around. Like that effort of chasing it up and chasing it down, and it, that's exhausting and it's insanely stressful and all of that other stuff. You have to teach your, you know, you have to learn how to keep it steady. But once you do, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easy, right? But it's way easier. And, um, and it's always my goal to get people to kind of get their own tools to get them to that space. Um, because I don't want to see them get into the situations that you're talking about. It's heartbreaking. You, you know what I mean? And at the same time, I want to say this, I understand that my daughter hasn't hit that age yet and I very well may be full of crap. Right. I was just going to say, right. no, no, right. It, yeah. it, it's, it, you know, fundamentally comes down to a parent taking care of their child, which is something that I never experienced because I was right. diagnosed when I was older. Um, but we have a lot of students that, you know, that that is their experience. And then when the narrative begins to be that person who has the diabetes, because they're, you know, that diabetes is, it's going to change, it's going to feel like a different disease at different times, yeah. because they're going to be solely responsible, and it's going to be happening in their body. Mm -hmm. And it, it's going to be them, you know, weighing the decisions, you know, going to, to talk with friends or, you know, do something as a quote, unquote, normal uh, young adult would do yep. and beginning to weigh those things for themselves. And it's that period of self-exploration that begins to, to change that narrative. And it gets slightly more complicated because you in this process will most likely feel completely out of control and out of touch and unable to help your daughter as she's navigating this um, inside her own head and taking over the management herself. Oh yeah. I, I fully expect that the that the only thing I'm really trying to do is to understand it as well as I can and be good at explaining it to other people so that I can explain it to her. Or moreover, I like to think of it as her sort of picking it up slowly over time and then hopefully give her as much of my understanding of it as I can before she 
goes into that space that you're talking about where she is going to go off and we're not going to probably talk about it anymore. And, and that's well, all, and, all I'm trying to do, you know? Oh no. And absolutely. And one thing I wanted to point out too is, you know, a lot of those outcomes are without those tools that you mentioned. So yeah. the CGM, the, the insulin pump, the, the community, knowing other people with it and already being exposed to that and open to it yeah. for a lot of people that takes years and that's why it might go up. Mm-hmm. So I think those, those variables um, having them in place, you know, sets you apart right from the beginning and opens up a lot more opportunity, sure. um, you know, to, to have that be a more open conversation. Okay. Give me one second. My son is texting me. Can I forge your signature? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What do I care? Uh, it's, <laughs> I used to have a girl. Hey, Nancy, uh, in middle school, who I would hand all of my tests to, and she would sign my mom's name for me. So she was delightful <laughs> at it. And uh, by the time I was out of school, I think had my mom actually signed something, the school would have been like, this is not your mom's signature. <laughs> Sorry about that. He's doing, doing something in high school, and it's, you know, it's towards the end now. So he's got good grades. I don't care. Uh, so <laughs> you just, you know, so it, it, you talk about this thing, and what you're showing me is you're like the you know, what you're talking about, this lead into college and, and this, you know, blossoming of a person turning into just a completely, you know, it's you basically a kid is something, you know, you can romanticize it if you want, but it, the baby comes and it's fairly uh, blob-like. It doesn't do a whole lot for a couple of years and you're just like, hey, try to not kill this thing, you, you, you know, and, and we'll feed it and keep it clean and stuff and inside if it rains, you know, that, that sort of stuff. And then it gets up, it starts moving around and you're like, I should probably teach it how to count or something like that. And then that happens and then they're basically gone. They go to school and now they're absorbing all of this other stuff and they're just insane. They're like, looters really you know and 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 you just try to keep it all like that same stuff like i'll keep teaching it stuff and keeping it clean and feeding it and blah 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 and then before you know it around 12 or 13 and i know this from my son they just disappear into their room and they become this like they're trying to figure things out they go to school they have friends they do this they do that and before you know it, you blink again and now my son's almost off to college and so really the entirety of what i've done for him is like not kill him like basically, you know, I've kept him inside and I haven't killed him and he's turned into a good person. And we try to impart these things along the way, but you don't, you don't raise a child the way you may imagine before you have it. Like you don't sit them down and have like, leave it to beaver talks with them that often. You, you, you know what I mean? Like now beaver, listen, here's what happened today. And Wally did this and you, it doesn't really go like that that often. You do it sometimes, but it's mainly just you if, you know, I think for me, it's it's you being some sort of a a quiet example, and then helping them when they get confused, trying to stay involved with them. I think being interested is most of it, and then doing your best to take the things that I've learned over forty years and tell my son, you know, who doesn't have diabetes, look, this happened to me once, and here's what I did. And I've sort of taken that same idea, and that's what I'm doing with my daughter with diabetes. Like, you know, I just there are people who do it, and I think they it'll go well for them as too. It just, it didn't strike me as like, I didn't want my eight year old to make dosing decisions and have an A1C of eight and a half, because then I would have to say to her, Hey, you're doing a great job. You you know what I mean? Because she would have been, by the way, diabetes is insanely difficult. And so we wanted to be a little more like involved. And then we slowly, slowly, slowly handed off to her. And I know 
and I've, I'm going to tell you because you and I are speaking for the first time, but I've said it here before. When she was really young, in eight, nine single digits age, I was putting her to bed one night and checking her blood sugar, and you know we were talking, and she just looked up at me, and she's like, what will I do when I go to college? And I said, what do you, what do you mean? She goes, well, my blood sugar. She's like, who's going to help me when I'm sleeping? And I said, oh, you know, I was like, by then you'll have this whole plan just like daddy does. It's going to really be fine, you know, Christina. And then I, um, then I uh, said goodnight and almost didn't make it to the hallway before I started crying like a small child. And, and what I wanted to say to her was, you know, here's what's going to happen. Daddy's going to live in the hall outside of your dorm room. And um, I'll have a cot, probably in a lamp, you know, so I can read and things like that. And, uh, and the kids will get to like me and it'll, it'll be fine, you know. And, um, but when she asked that question, I cried because I didn't really have an answer, you, you, you know. And what is the answer when you send your kid off to a completely different place? It's already this frightening thing. Um, and they're gone, right? They're just, they're not there anymore. And you don't have day-to-day you know contact with them you can't bump into them after school and say hey how'd it go today and they mention something and you give them the the leave it to be for five minutes and they move on and like that's all gone now um and are you going to take your diabetes as seriously as i took it and and to be perfectly honest with you i don't expect her to because you i mean you know you're a person who lives with type one it's a different forget t- diabetes for a second i should do sit-ups and i don't it'll shorten my life and I know it right but I still go on like that I'm still a bright person I have an understanding of the whole thing why do I do that because it's sort of human nature and now you have diabetes and that human nature takes over again and now there's no one standing behind you going hey did you you know we talked about that bolus a minute ago did you do did you do it and uh oh no I didn't it's okay and then it gets done so this is where I think what you do is so amazing um and I've talked to a number of people on the podcast, you know, younger people who at some point without prompting bring up the College Diabetes Network. And so please tell me when you got to school, you were just probably like, I got to find people who have type one too. And I want to hear that whole story, please. Sure. Well, thank you mm. so much just for sharing all of that. I mean, that that sort of heartbreaking moment when you realize that you won't always be there is, you know, a lot of what we hear parents say and is, is why we do what we do um, from the parent perspective. So uh, that always means a lot because of all the work that goes in, it makes it worth it. Okay. Um, Thank you. Seriously, it's, I'm, assu- I'm assuming you didn't get rich when you were 21. You're like, I'm going to make a, I'm gonna do a <laughs> lot of work, right? And, and at what point did you, so what drove you to, to begin? That's my first question. Sure. Um, so I actually didn't start CDN until my junior year in college. Um, so it was 2009. Okay. And at that point, I, you know, had had been, I'd had a great, I did have a great group of friends that, you know, had nothing to do with diabetes. I was on a writing team. Um, I was very busy and, and doing well. I had my CGM, um, which had just come out around my freshman year. So I had the tools that I needed. Um, but it's a lot of work and it was always on my mind. And so it was really at that point that I just felt tired and wanted to know how other people did it. And it was at that point that I, I actually happened to get Lyme disease, um, randomly. Um, but because of that, they sent me to the one person at the health center who understood diabetes. And 
um, in connecting with her, she was saying all the other students that that she saw wanted to connect with other people, had no way to do so, but were really interested. Okay. And so because of that, I just reserved a room and said, OK, well, we'll meet in this room and whoever shows up, shows up. And a bunch of people showed up and it was amazing. And it was really the first time I'd had that connection and talked to other people. And I just remember coming out and feeling like I was on cloud nine Mm -hmm. and calling my mom and being like, mom, this was incredible. Like, I didn't know diabetes could be like this. And um, (laughs) then that that feeling just never went away. Um, That's amazing. So, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just it's, it's the it's just meeting. It was having commonality, right? Exactly. And I I think part of it is being able to laugh about it because you'll you'll hear, you know, low stories that you'll talk to somebody that doesn't understand diabetes. And the fact that you and this was actually someone's experience, somebody saw their dog, their little white dog, and they were in the midst of a low and thought it was a big marshmallow and (laughs) like got really excited. (laughs) You know, that might be somewhat scary to to other people or to a doctor that you're having hallucinations. (laughs) But you're able to sit with a group of people that can crack up laughing and be like, oh, yeah, something similar happened to me, too. And so you're able to find the humor in very serious situations. Um, and be able to, to use that to embrace them and move on and do it better. Wow. Yeah. That is just, that's a perfect example, (laughs) right? (laughs) That has always stuck with me. (laughs) It's a perfect example. I, I, you know, I, I, we have this story that in my mind is insanely funny and I wrote it up as a blog post years ago and it got as much people saying, oh, that is hilarious as it was like, that's horrifying. Cliffhanger. Listen, guys, tonight I'm uh, editing the podcast late at night. I just got done packing for a trip. Arden is going tomorrow. We're all going, actually, to Connecticut, where she's going to play in the Little League World Series Regional Tournament. The Little League World Series Regional Tournament. They need to win this tournament to move to the Little League World Series itself. Whether that happens or not, you know, is neither here nor there. Here's the important part. When I pack the diabetes stuff tonight... I have such a small bag. We're going to be gone for a week, a week of softball, right? And in that bag is just, you know, a handful of Omnipods, some insulin, uh, some Dexcom sensors, and, you know, some test strips and a few other things. It's a really small bag that is not just going to help Arden, you know, stay healthy with her diabetes, but for a full week of really strenuous activity. Like I said, one of the things in that bag is her Dexcom stuff. And the Dexcom G5 Mobile Continuous Glucose Monitoring System is the first FDA-approved device to let you make treatment decisions without pricking your finger. Just think about what that means. You know, sure, it means less finger sticks, but really that's just the beginning. Because the future of diabetes is right now, and it's Dexcom. You can begin to manage your type 1 diabetes with the same great technology that has helped us to keep Arden's A1C between 5.6 and 6.2 for over three years by visiting Dexcom.com forward slash juice box or clicking on the link in your show notes. I do need to tell you this, finger sticks are still required for calibration or if symptoms or expectations do not match readings or when taking medications containing acetaminophen. Find out more today at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. As we pack up and get ready to leave tonight, I can't tell you how comforted I am to have the Omnipod insulin pump with us. I just think that tubeless insulin pumping is it's amazing you know it's this 
little tiny thing that just contains everything you need in and it's I don't know it's just I stop and think about what all the other insulin pumps are like with the tubing and and the controller that you have to carry you know on your body and everything and I'm just really grateful for Omnipod especially as we leave you know for this incredibly strenuous activity that's that's going to be you know six seven days in a row of just practice and outside and playing and running from dorms to fields and everything and just to think that we're going to have the ability to make these fine manipulations to Arden's insulin while she's playing or excited or tired or whatever and that she can go out on the field and and maintain that level of insulin even when she's diving across the infield you know stabbing a ball out of there and getting up and throwing it across the diamond I just I'm I'm one of those people who's just genuinely grateful that this technology exists. And it is, of course, with that grateful feeling that I, I'm so thrilled to have Omnipod as a sponsor on the on the podcast so that I can tell you about it. I really genuinely think that if you have any interest in what I'm saying, you should go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox and try the free demo. There's no obligation. It doesn't cost anything. It's worth a try. Get one out. Take a look at the house and see what you think myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. But it was a story about my daughter having a seizure from too much insulin, but it's hilarious in hindsight because A, we got her out of it pretty quickly and there's no damage and all that stuff. But in, in in a very truncated way, the glucose gel that you just buy at Walgreens that you kind of, you know, we, we, we don't, I don't think we really carry it anymore, but we had it back then. And so I took this. That's screw, gross. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible, right? <laughs> so you take the screw off lid off and it's got this foil thing that, you know, for freshness, I'm assuming. So it tastes less gross than it was going to. And I, in the kind of drama of the moment, screwed off the lid, didn't pull off the foil. Basically, my wife was holding my, you know, two and a half year old in her arms we have her mouth open and I squeeze the thing and it won't come out and I squeeze harder and instead of the foil popping off the corner of it where it's sealed got a pinhole in it and I'm squeezing and this laser guided tiny stream of glucose gel is just doing calligraphy on the ceiling of the hotel room we're in. And I'm just like, what's happening? And she's like, it's shooting on the ceiling. So I spun it around and used the little pinhole. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And it ends, we were on vacation with, uh, my brother was with me and he was single and younger and we get all done. Seizure stops. The whole thing might've lasted a minute. And, um, and we get her good and we check her blood sugar and put her back in bed. Cause she was sleeping when it happened. Uh, she almost didn't know anything happened, and we come out, and there is just this kaleidoscope of glucose gel all over this hotel room. <laughs> and my brother is in the corner, cowering in a corner. He is just like, oh, oh my, what, what? Because we had made him her godfather. I think he was like, I want out right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? But when you when we stopped, it all got done, and my wife looked up at the ceiling, and she just started laughing. And I was like, it's hilarious. She's like, why did you not pull the thing off? I was like, I don't know. And (laughs) so I don't know that there's many people you could tell that story to who would be like, oh, my God, I hear the humor in that. Exactly. You you know, so and and by the way, to expound for one second before I ask you my next question, I believe genuinely that community of some sort is maybe one of the most important components to living well with type one. 
you you have to go find people who understand those stories and and have them in your life just on some level because otherwise the descriptions of feeling alone that I've heard over the years and that I felt myself are crippling, you know, it's just really, it's really, I don't think it can be overstated really go find somebody who understands what you're saying to them and, you know, make, make friends. Um, but especially in this situation, so you're off at college and because you know what, your social skills at, at leaving for college are not great. Are they? (laughs) No, you have like a warped sense of identity at that point, I think. Okay, okay. yeah, right, <laughs> right. You're just like, you, because you feel like you've just like conquered the world. Like you got out of high school and you made it to college. So you're just like, I did everything I've been supposed to do for my entire life. Like, like all people have been telling me is get good grades, you know, be a decent person, get to college. And you don't realize that that's like, like step point five in your life. You think you've, you just mastered everything. Everything everyone's always been saying to you, you've just done. You, you know, yep. you, you know, you're a king at that moment, and then you get there. There's thousands of other people who all think that they've just conquered the world. It's a horrible mix. <laughs> what a bunch of a holes everybody must be at college the first year, right? Right? Just like, wow, I did it. And then you get there, you realize you didn't do it, and there's this next step coming. And on top of that, I have diabetes. And what do you think the biggest does it does it differ between men and women? Do like, what's the biggest concern on day one? Is it not telling anybody? Is it like, what do you think people really worry about going into school? And what do you hear from the people who you work with? Sure. Um, I mean, I, I think at this point, my, our students would definitely be able to better see that from what I hear from different men and women. Um, I think it's less about gender in terms of the biggest concern at that time. Okay. Um, and really more around the individual and, and how they think of their diabetes. And if they're very self-conscious about it, or if they're willing to talk about it. I think most of the the questions that we get is, how do I tell my roommate about it? How do I tell other people? Because they don't want to be known as the person with diabetes. Um, and being able to introduce it in a way that isn't intimidating, but is also, you know, lets people know the seriousness of it if there is something that they need to do in an emergency. And, you know, to what extent should they expect their roommate to actually help them um, I, I think that's always very anxiety provoking to them because they never want to feel like a burden and they just want to be another, you know, just another student. Yeah. Um, but it's that really that fine line and helping people understand. You see, it's funny because I'm twice your age almost, probably not twice. I'm not good with math, but I'm in my 40s. And so <laughs> it's funny when I think of things, I think of things the way I grew up and the way the world was when I was younger. Like I broke it down in my mind to like a gender thing. Like, oh, maybe girls don't want to tell you know, somebody, they have diabetes where maybe men don't want to appear fragile, like that kind of thing. But this is a different world now. I mean, it, it genuinely is. You can see it in all, you know, stand-up comedy is a good example. It's a different world. The things that Chris Rock would have said in the 90s, a stand-up comic would say now and they wouldn't be popular, like it, it, as an example. So I almost wonder if nowadays, if kids aren't more accepting, like if you would have come to me when I was 17 and been like, hey, I'm your roommate, I've been like, that's great. We're going to have a great time. By the way, I, I I might have a seizure while we're here. And if I do, could you do this or call somebody? I'd be like, well, wait a minute. I'm at college. I don't need this hassle, right? But now I see who I am and who I've transformed into and who the how the world is. I would probably just be like, right on, man. I'm with you. I got it. Don't worry. And and, and I think people's, people's sensibilities have changed socially. And, and I think that extends to how they feel about other people and what they're willing to do for other people, too. Um, but see, you might not feel that way because... 
the world's sort of been like this the entire time you've been an adult. And, and it, so your, your, your question, your answer was just really interesting to me because you almost said in very kind words, oh, old man, it doesn't matter what gender people are. Stop being silly. You didn't say it like that. But that's how, mm. I, that's how I felt. And, and so, <laughs> Well, I think gender plays more of a role as time goes on. But I okay. think in terms of what's the most pressing concern going in, okay. we generally hear that from both genders. Just don't want to tell somebody. How do you tell somebody? And how, because you were putting a responsibility on a person you've met eight seconds prior, really. And, and you don't feel like, I'm assuming you don't feel like on some level I can let this, like, let's wait a week or a month till we're really comfortable and I'll tell them because you're not going to be able to hide that you have diabetes. You don't want to hide that you have it. And you may actually need the interaction of that person at some point. Um, do people who have, you know, um, who, who kind of keep their blood sugar in a lower range, do you see kids getting away from that once they get there, like because there's no more backup at home? Or can college cha change the way you, you manage your diabetes, even if you're a person who's not struggling with it? Um, I think it can definitely change it just simply because it's such a large lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it's, it's a little bit different these days because CGM is available and you can monitor it more closely that it is much safer in that respect. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I mean, I think I see it affecting it two ways and it, it could differ between people or at different times. One being they keep it in tighter control and lower control because they can think more clearly and be, you know, able to function more successfully. Yeah. Um, and to that, it, it just takes a lot of work and they might be feeding lows a lot, um, which might be fine for them. And then you get into the other cohort of people where, going low is extremely anxiety provoking, even if it's not a serious low. Mm -hmm. um, and they would rather keep their blood sugars in the 300s all the time just to avoid that. And there's a huge sense of anxiety that goes into that along with other, you know, rational physical concerns. Yeah. Um, so we definitely see both schools of thought. And I think the, the other piece that comes into play here is alcohol. And the concern around lows at night with alcohol. Mm. Um, and we find that a lot of young adults do, you know, they'll have their go-to method to handle their blood sugars. And many people either just, they, their number one priority is to avoid the low. Okay. It's, it's funny because there's one thing that I, it's so prevalent in my life right now. And I can't, I, I struggle to think about it in a way that I believe is correct. Um, my, and I, I want to make, make prefaces by saying I, it's not a judgment. I just, I've never been a person who's drank ever. And I met a girl who was the same. It made sense when we were dating because it was weird. I used to date people who drank and I was like, oh, okay, well, this is not my lifestyle. And then it's weird for me to stand around while you're drunk. It's, you know, it's not a lot of fun. So I found another person who, you know, didn't either. And we don't as adults. Like we don't, I haven't consumed the, the equivalent of, I'm going to say a six pack of beer in a decade or more. Right. And, and it's, and again, not a judgment, just it's how we live. So my children are in a situation where like alcohol is not around at all, but it's not taboo. It's not like something we talk down about or anything like that. And so here's my son, 17 years old, 17 and a half, you know, going into being a senior in high school. I, I can, I can tell you, unless I'm an idiot, I don't think I am, he's never had alcohol. And through conversations and just things that you hear, at the moment, he has 
quite literally no interest in it. Now, I understand that that very well could and may change, um, but it's one of those things that's outside of my ability to even consider. Like I, not, not that it could happen, but how, to, how I would deal with it afterwards. And I, I think about all the people who probably have similar feelings as their children leave for school and then their kids go down that, you know, do, do that, go down that path, drink, whatever. And so not only are, is it happening and they may not be able to handle their blood sugars overnight, but you don't even expect that it's happening. You wouldn't even know how to maybe try to parent from a distance over the situation. I imagine it's probably the most frightening part of it, um, you know, as far as that goes. And, and so do you actually, so do you give them tools about how to handle the alcohol and, and their diabetes or do they use each other as support? Yeah. I mean, we, we have very, uh, general information that, you know, a provider could tell you that that's really just safety information in terms of, you know, glucagon won't be as effective and, you know, maybe some ways that other students have gone about either not drinking or helping you offset the lows, really just functional solutions that students have found. Um, I think the, the big takeaway is that, you know, alcohol and different types of alcohols, affect everybody so differently and affect blood sugars so differently. So I'm going to make this recommendation as somebody that does not have diet or does not have diabetes, does not have children. (laughs) (laughs) Christina just Um, cured herself, everyone. You're looking for the cure all the time. This podcast is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As somebody that does not have children, but in terms of have, I've done a lot of presentations and talks related to the off-to-college experience and talked to a lot of parents that, that have gone through it and, and what they, you know, tell other parents mm-hmm. and as well as clinical providers. And I think, you know, if your family is comfortable, this has to be, you know, right for your family. But if you're comfortable and if you're able, do some experiential learning. If your child is interested, um, and I come from an Irish family, so I mean, this is also not mind blowing from from my background. Christine's like, but just get wasted with your kids a couple times and help them with their blood sugar. Not what I'm saying. <laughs> I didn't say that. That's what you're saying. Oh wait, I did say that, but you're not saying that. Never mind. Um, no, but in terms of have you know, if your child knows that they are interested, and and I had many friends that didn't drink. I still have many friends that didn't drink mm-hmm. with or without diabetes. So that is absolutely you know, something that you, that you do see even in college and to really, you know, tell your kids that that's okay, but to also say you're going to be exposed to this, you know, and if they have an interest or if they think they would end up having a drink, have them have a beer with you, you know, over dinner or, you know, be there in a safe contained environment where if their blood sugar does plummet that night, you're able to both troubleshoot it together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, this is a, a very wide recommendation, but we've heard that it helps uh, some of the young adults feel more comfortable in terms of trying different things. Um, otherwise, your child will most likely try it with friends and may or may not have a safety net and, you know, will likely come out perfectly fine. But um, just with that level of anxiety, it's it's a tactic to consider. Yeah, no, I think it's not just a tactic to consider. It's a it's a staple of how you raise people. Like it just, it genuinely is like you, you're better off having conversations at home than you are just sending someone out in the world with half of the information and telling them, Hey, go figure it out yourself. And some, you know, for some things that works fine. And for other things like driving, for instance, you wouldn't put someone in a car who'd never driven before and been like, okay, 
Well, go to the grocery store. You'll get it. You know, don't no, don't sit here and figure it out here. I'm not going to tell you what that lever does. Just make the car go forward. Here, I'll put it in drive for you. Good luck. Yeah, it's, it's taboo <laughs> if we talk about it. It's going to make me feel uncomfortable. So you just drive away. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, yes, that, that is my that is my my clunky point. But you and I are really starting to vibe now, Christine. I think we're getting there. And so, and and yeah, that is exactly what I'm saying. And is exactly what you're saying. So you have to be a reasonable person. Is my kids doing this? And by the way, take college out of the mix for a second. Your child could be drinking at 15 or 16, and they still now they're less capable, and less mature, and still having all the issues. So find out. Like I think the conversation. I think much like everything else, just talking about it and having an, um, an open dialogue is is the most important thing. I, I found myself thinking about my son yesterday and him going off to college. And, uh, you know, I just realized that as his father, genuinely the, the most important thing I can do for him is just to honestly be clear to him that I'm available to him. Like, I don't know that there's like a more important part, you know, like he's got to feel comfortable constantly that no matter what happens, um, you know, I'm here and, and I, I won't, you know, there's not going to be a judgment and we're not going to get, go down a road where he's going to feel like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said anything to this guy. You know, like, and I think that that covers most of all this, honestly, um, especially with the diabetes and the insulin and everything. So let me ask you this. Do you, are you like everybody, you know, are you like me? Or are you thinking, wow, 2018 artificial pancreas, this might fix everything <laughs> like, or make stuff way better at the very least. And do you see that as help being able to, but, but you also said that not many the people you're speaking with probably don't have access to that sort of thing either, right? Is that, I guess that's always going to sort of exist. Even an artificial pancreas comes out um, and can help you get through nights without crazy lows, you know, hopefully. Still, if you don't have the insurance coverage or the, or the, the financial means, you're still not going to have it, I guess. So I guess that was happy and sad all in the same 30 seconds there, Christine. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry I bummed you out and made you happy at the same time. But anyway, let's get off of college for a second. Are you, as a person with diabetes, um, do you use a pump? I do. Okay. And you have a glucose monitor? I do. And of course you do. Okay. Now, uh, <laughs> are you excited about one day those two things talking with an algorithm? Or do, uh, or do you not know how to feel about it? No, I'm impatiently waiting. <laughs> yeah, me too. So I, I told Jeff, uh, I was talking to Jeffrey Brewer the other day from Bigfoot. And we're Omnipod people, so I'm, I'm holding out for theirs. Um, but, uh, but I was interviewing Jeffrey for the podcast, and I said... Um, I said, I can't wait to forget some of the stuff I know, you know, like it takes up so much of my computing cycles, I think sometimes. And, you know, I'm always learning more things about like, you don't get the five, six by not paying attention. You, you, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, and so I'm dying not to pay attention. I just can't wait not to pay attention. Um, cause I used to be such a great idiot and I would like to get back to that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was having I, such a good I time not paying attention to things. That. <laughs> do you, do you do, right? Like, because, because even, I mean, even when you're not thinking about it, it's there and then it creeps in or, you know, you, you, the other day, you know, my son started driving last year. So my daughter started talking about it and I said, Hey, you know, you're going to have to know what your blood sugar is before you drive away every time, just kind of putting it in her head. And you could see in her face, she was like, that sounds like BS to me. You, you know, like, well, <laughs> it's not it, fair. He doesn't have to do that. <laughs> right. And I got this thing. It beeps. It'll be fine. Like, you, you know what I mean? And so. Um, but it's just, it's all that stuff. It's last night, Christina, last night, Arden played softball 
And then she came home, and this is not a concurrence in my uh, an occurrence in my house often. But she just lo- she comes home from softball. It's eight o'clock. She's finishing up her homework. She looks at me and she says, uh, "Hey, my blood sugar's like starting to drift down." I was like, "Yeah, right on. Chase. You're gonna need a snack before for bed." And normally she has something that I'm really well within my ability to handle. And she's like, "I'm gonna have two pop tarts." And I went, oh, w- "Wait, what? I was thinking of sleeping tonight, you, you know." And so, I was, so I'm like, "No, okay, you know." So now here I am. I'm looking at these things. They're not really food. They've got all these carbs in them. And I'm like, I can't bolus for all of it because she had this activity. It's going to hit her later. I'm going to bolus for less. And I was so close, so close to getting it right. And at 10 o'clock or so, she starts looking tired. And she's like, I'm going to go to sleep. And her blood sugar is 140. And I, that's usually too high for me. But I didn't know what I did with that Pop-Tart. So I was just like, all right, I'll watch this for a little while longer. And I'll handle it. 140, she heads upstairs. She goes to sleep. I'm taking the, uh, you remember the dogs I told you? Everybody take, nobody, uh, I, I got the dogs outside. I'm doing this. I'm kind of buttoning the house up and everything. Maybe it's 10 minutes later and it's like beep, 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 beep. She's 61 straight down. And I'm like, there's, hasn't even been insulin in like two hours. I'm like, no. And you know, so upstairs, the poor kid's eating a banana in her sleep and you know, and I'm adjusting her basal rates and everything like that. And then I, now I'm tired and I want to go to sleep and I'm 100% certain that everything I did is going to work out okay. And which, by the way, it did. But I still sat up for 45 minutes just wondering if it wasn't going to. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, is, is she going to go high? Is she going to need some insulin? Is she going to go low again? Like, and I sat there and sat there and I sat there. And, and all I could think was, and you know, right now it's sleep. But if this was during the day, like, this is time in my life. Like, I'm losing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm not wondering about anything. I'm just sitting here existing, waiting to see if diabetes needs me to do something else. And I don't have it. Like, so I can't imagine for you, that must be so much of your time. Um, And it makes me, I don't know, you know, now I'm talking to you for a while and you're nice and now it's making me sad. So No, it's it's, it's so funny that what's going through my head as you're saying all of this is almost the opposite from what you said in terms of, you know, I have it and it makes it easier sometimes where when you don't have it, it, that level of anxiety is crippling. I, you know, I, I take care of my own diabetes. I can troubleshoot, you know, I have pump sites come out all the time, whatever. Um, it's life, but I had, you know, one of our students have that happen at one of our events and, um, you know, I was checking her, making sure that she checked her her ketones every 20 minutes and was checking her blood sugar every 20 minutes and was just, there was so much anxiety that went into it. And there was so much thought and waiting. Well, if this was myself, I kept coming back to, okay, if this was myself, what would I do? And what would I be thinking? And I was like, I would have stopped worrying, you know, hours ago and just set an alarm to, to take another test and, you know, would just ride it out because I know it will be fine and it is going to be what it's going to be. But I think the, the amount of uh, just mental capacity required to take responsibility for someone else, never mind your child mm-hmm. um, is, is just enormous. And uh, so to, to that point, I think that's part of the the challenge in gaining independence and for, I, I would assume, a parent to release a child into independence because for a parent, it, it is very normal and completely understandable that you would stay up for 45 minutes and be really worried. 
while you, you know, you want your child to, to treat and go back to bed because you don't want it to dictate their life for the rest of their life. Yeah. And so learning where that balance is and what their personal threshold and comfort level is, um, is such a, a learning experience. But um, from my own, having spent years figuring that out for myself, it threw me for a loop to do it for someone else and a very capable someone else. <laughs> I really appreciate you saying that. And I'll tell you what else, too. Christina came on the podcast, said, Christina from the College Diabetes Network, she's come on to tell you that the real secret to life is to not love anybody. Um, I, hear, <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Okay, Christina, I think you're making solid sense right now. Um, and that's the name of this episode, Don't Love. Now, I'm just, I'm joking, obviously, but, but it, 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 it adds a level and it's a response. Like right now, you were looking at that kid thinking, this is on me now, right? Like, you know, I don't want her blood sugar to get too high. I don't want to get too low. I get the seven, all that stuff that happens. And and I want to tell you, too, I don't worry anymore because I'm confident in what I know about insulin and food and my ability to make those decisions and keep the, the timing of them on level. The part that kind of is eating at me, it used to be worry. The part that eats at me now is I could do I could do something else right here, but if I do, if I start it, then the and I hate to say Murphy's law, but then the diabetes is going to need me again. Then I'm going to start and stop. I'm never going to get back to it. It's the what I what I resent is the standing in the silence, just letting time pass because I need time to pass, and and that is um, uh, it's not you know I don't. I don't associate that with my daughter. You know, luckily, I'm not a person who sees her and thinks that it's her. But it's it's as a human being who you know is in his 40s doesn't. I'm not in great shape. I clearly I can't live much longer. And so you know, like it just it feels like my life is finite, and that I've been a piece of medical equipment for a decade. Like that 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 is sort of how it feels sometimes. Um, and and so it's interesting and kind of uplifting to hear that when it's because I spoke about it in the beginning how. When it's you, you're sort of like, it's your human nature to not worry about yourself as much. But that almost sounds like a positive thing, not a negative thing. And and through your description just now. And it seems like it was your experience, too, when you were helping this person. So I think that's, I actually think that's a hopeful thought for parents. That, you know, your experience with diabetes is not going to be their experience with it. And you, what you need more than anything is to get them off to school or into adulthood so they can have these new experiences for themselves and do exactly what you did, like what I did. I had these experiences, I figured them out, and now everything's fine. And that's what's going to happen to your kids, too. They're going to have experiences, they're going to figure them out, and one day it's all going to be fine. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. I, I don't think I could have said it better. Um, it really is around that, you know, helping you empower them to to troubleshoot and problem solve and have enough, anxiety is the wrong word, but have enough awareness to do that but not have the level of anxiety that's going to take away from them as a person and take away from their life. And I think that's, that's always a challenge with diabetes, but I think it definitely becomes more so during this time in life. Perfect. What we've just seen here, Christina is, and I don't want to, I don't want to pull the curtain back too far, but what you've just seen is me deftly take the last hour and force you into telling a story that got right to that point in exactly 59 minutes and 35 seconds. I don't want to pat myself on the back. But obviously, it's I, very I, impressive. I want to. I've just done it right now. Um, I, I, my ego is completely taken over. I want everyone to know that I've done this on purpose. I am a master <laughs> podcaster. I don't know what that gets you in life. Uh, I guess it gets you a podcast. But, but the, <laughs> you are delightful, and you let me talk, 
and you didn't get angry, which I appreciate, because uh, I was super chatty today. And um, you should have had me yesterday. I barely said anything when I was recording an episode yesterday. Like, <laughs> no, this worked great. <laughs> no, you're, you're kind to say. And, and I know when you get off, you're going you're gonna to get to the person who booked this for you and be like, what did you do? Hey, guy. No, honestly, I've, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, I, I, get, I work with a lot of people and, you know, it's, it, it's very personal for me. So having a, a very informal conversation and just talking to another person about their experience, it's why I got into it. It's what I love. It's why I do what I do. So I appreciate getting the opportunity to do that. Well, I was just goading you to say something nice about me, but then you went on to say something different. So now I don't care anymore. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, ser- seriously, I, what I, um, what I think is, it's just what I said in the beginning, and I'll probably leave it in because you're in a, you're in a disadvantage. You're doing an amazing thing that is not sexy to talk about. And because of that, I always get afraid that people could be like, oh, this person's going to come on and tell me like how I can go to an office and sign up for a thing. And by the way, I'm assuming they go to collegediabetesnetwork.org or something like that. I'm just making that up. But what is your web address? Yeah, no, you're you're right. Collegediabetesnetwork.org or just Google College and Diabetes and we have a bunch of resources and um, a lot of updates and more and more every day. You have no idea how hard it was for me for to stay quiet while you were saying that. I was so proud of myself for guessing at what your URL was. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I really, I need somebody in my life to tell me I'm worthwhile, I think. And I'm doing it myself today, apparently. Uh, but but <laughs> point It's recorded. You can play it again. Yeah, yeah. So, you're delightful. Yeah, so, and, and really, don't wait until the first day of school, right? Like, when your kids are in high school, they, they should be part of their planning for college. Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There, and there's so many resources that we've worked, you know, with communities and JDRF and ADA and, and camps to try to get them in people's hands sooner, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a local event or a local session. Um, and we publish these off to college booklets that are completely free. And our goal is to just get them into as many people's hands as possible um, so that they can be used and be helpful. So even if you're three years away, I mean, order a book. We're more than happy to send it. And um, really just know what you're getting into and it'll be fine. Yeah, I, I would encourage people to take advantage of this. It's, uh, you're obviously, you're an angel. You're doing an amazing thing. Nobody, nobody gets wealthy running an org. And so, I, you know, you can just hear in your voice how much it means to you. And obviously it's a personal story, but I just, just really take advantage of this. Don't, don't just say, oh, it's going to be, don't be that person who lets your, and we talked about it earlier, the uncomfortableness of talking to your kids about things that can be uncomfortable. Don't let that make you quiet and then thusly make you not look into this because you don't want to have the conversation. You need to want to have this uncomfortable conversation, I think. Um, you know, And so I want to encourage everybody to do it. And I'm going to put links in the show notes so they can get right to you. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. So if you've got someone with type 1 in your life that's heading off to college, please, collegediabetesnetwork.org. Order your pamphlet, collegediabetesnetwork.org. Thanks so much to Omnipod and Dexcom for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox Podcast. Um, As you know, I'm on my way to a week of softball with Arden. Hopefully they'll keep winning. And because of that, it's possible that this episode might be followed by a week with no Juicebox Podcast. I'm not 100% sure. It depends on how things go. So uh, if you don't find another new episode next week, just download three old episodes or five or ten or all of them. And there'll be a new episode again before you know it. Thanks so much for listening.